This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Welcome back to the COVID report. You are still joined by myself, Ukameli Hewokwapovana, alongside Siposihe Mboli. Now at lockdown advanced alert level three, President Cyril Ramaphosa announced the planned reopening of restaurants for certain meals, as well as cinemas and theaters. While this was met with jubilation from those within the artistic community, it became increasingly apparent that there were holes in the plans with questions around the economic sense behind the blanket 50 max people rule applying to all theatres regardless of size. This does not bode well for an industry already ravaged by the impact of this pandemic. Joining us on the COVID report at this time to unpack this is Chris Avant-Smith, who is a producer of events, theatre and film, while also doubling up as a theatre publicist. Chris, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Can you start by telling us what is the extent of the damage that this pandemic has done to the arts industry? And over the 100 plus days that have since passed, are there any signs that the damage can be repaired? Thank you very much for having The damage has been enormous to the industry and it's, it's very hard to put a financial uh, sort of point to it however what there is is it's affected people on their in their daily life I mean by that so with theaters and uh, television and all those uh, all our arts outlets having been shut down we the people who create those um, beautiful beautiful experiences the theater experiences have literally been out of work now, as you say, for over 100 days. And, you know, what I think a lot of people don't realize is, is that the people who make art, who make theater, do not have constant salaries. So if they were booked to do a show over the last 90, 100 days, and that show has been canceled, they have nothing else to make up any income on. And I mean, the knock-on effect is horrendous. We look, we're seeing um, so many companies, and it's not just the actors themselves. We're looking at the producers. We're looking at the sound, the staging, all of the ancillary um, professions that go around theater and around productions that are also suffering. I was just online yesterday and I saw um, some, somebody who owns a, a small hiring, sort of sound hiring studio, and they're selling off everything because they have no business coming in and they have to shut because they can't compete. They can't keep going. The amount of retrenchments, I'm talking here with the sound and the venting companies, the, the amount of retrenchments are astronomical. And on daily basis, we have people, we have uh, small groups of people, individuals in the theatre, uh, waiting in the wings, um, etc. Uh, the Artist Benevolent Fund, all trying to f- just get enough money to give people food, let alone th- the things like rent and paying bonds and whatever, that people are unable to do that. So it's enormous the impact that this has had. 
Now, Chris, at level three of the lockdown, it's been announced that cinemas and theaters are allowed to open. But what are the fundamental issues that you have with the plans announced to reopen cinemas and theaters at this stage of the pandemic? I have two fundamental problems with it, and it's a lovely word, that fundamental. The The first is, obviously, we have to open up the industry, um, both cinemas and theatres. Now, cinemas are slightly different in that they can open if they have a restricted number of people working uh, or viewing their films. They can add extra screenings, etc., etc. There are ways of mitigating it. However, with live theatre, I have a huge problem. And that is the way it has been put forward to us that they will open is that only 50 audience members and 15 um, actors and crew are allowed into any venue. Now, I mean, that's fine for a small theatre that seats maybe 80 or 100 people, but you can't use the same percentage. You can't use a number of 50 for Say, for example, at Monte Cassino, we have the Peter Turin Studio Theatre, which seats about 100 people. If you've got 50 people in that theatre, it will work. It, it, you can run a show and possibly make some money off of it. However, if you go right next door to the Teatro, which seats over 1,000 people, it simply economically doesn't work. So my, my problem is that whoever put forward the suggestion, and, and, and I really have to do uh, point the finger at the, the minister here, there's been no real thought into how this practically can be implemented. And the biggest problem with that is that no, absolutely no producer will risk or could possibly afford to put on a production under those restrictions. Now, the knock-on effect of that, which is huge for me, is the Department of Arts and Culture can turn around and quite simply say, well, we've opened the theatres, why are people complaining? And actually, our job here is done. So they don't need, and they can abdicate any responsibility for looking after the industry beyond this, because as they can say, we've opened the industry. We know that historically, uh, over the last three months, very little of, of the finances that were put aside to assist artists have actually gone to artists, have actually been allocated. If you speak to anybody, or very few people have actually got any funds out of this. The other point is, basically, artists are sort of not in the mainstream of society, so they can't apply for UIF, even if they have been paying UIF through their various contracts. So they've been marginalized. And by opening the way it has been opened, or the way it's proposed to be opened, is economically not viable. And it allows the DAC to step back and abdicate any responsibility. Sure, a uh, very um, grim picture you're painting there, Chris. Now, as far as the options that are available for theatres to cover the revenue losses from ticket sales that would arise from this 50 max rule, this 50 max people rule being implemented. Are there any options for them to explore? And would this possibly, because I'm thinking 
off the top of my head, being that I'm part of the acting industry myself, I think the one sure. realistic um, the one realistic exclusion or omission we could make or, or the one thing we could possibly abolish is the complementary ticket culture within theater. Will that help as far as, um, boost, as, far as mitigating um, revenue losses? And does that, that, does that present itself as a viable option to explore? Well, you know, yes, yes and no. Um, the complementary ticket culture is, is something that uh, we as producers um, have been looking at very carefully over a long period of time because there, there are two, it's a twofold thing. The, the first is giving complementary tickets obviously takes away revenue, but it also boosts your word of mouth. So complementary tickets are a way of marketing your show and if given to the right people and by the right people I talk influencers I, I'm talking people in the industry who can support and who can talk about etc etc so in this scenario I don't think there will be any complimentary tickets at 50 seats there's absolutely no ways that you could do it the one way that we could start opening this industry and making sense of it is to look at and I'm going to use a funny word, but proportional representation. So looking at percentages, I think what needs to happen is that the guidelines need to say, we need to give a percentage figure. So if you have a hundred seater, 70, you can have 70% of audience or 50% of audience. So if you've got your hundred seater and you can have 50%, you've got 50 audience members that starts making a little bit of sense. If you've got a thousand seater, you can have at 50%, 500 people visiting the theater. It, that will provide for a certain amount of social distancing. It will provide for um, the ability, obviously people must wear masks in the theater, 100%. Um, there are definitely ways of being COVID safe around, around theater ga gatherings. I mean, if, if you just take it to the opposite extreme, if you look at the taxi industry, the taxi industry, and I, this is uh, stuff I've seen, you look at taxis, they're not at 50% capacity. A lot of the taxis are full. A lot of people on taxis aren't wearing masks. So, you know, we've got to, we've got to juggle the risk and we've got to juggle the economy. So social distancing, 100%. And we can arrange for that in theatres. They're doing it all over um, the East at the, at the moment. Singapore at the moment um, doing wonderful, wonderful things uh, around social distancing. People get sprayed going in. They're wearing masks. There's, they've blocked off seats, etc., etc. I know uh, Lord Weber, Andrew Lloyd Weber, is um, going to pilot that in on the West End to see how can we make it as safe as possible. So we can do that. Cutting down on uh, complimentary tickets, I think coming out of this, every cent is going to count. And I think the days of complimentary ticketing game are over for the main part. So now looking more specifically at the people who create the experiences, such as actors what about actors what role would the important consideration of safety measures have to play in this regard when it comes to rehearsals and performances of productions 
Well, I think it's very, very important. And, and, you know, as an industry, we are very lovey-dovey. We hug and we kiss and we do all that sort of thing. And, and, and often a lot of the work we're doing is very intimate work. You know, we close up, we're singing, which obviously sprays a lot of stuff. And so as performers, as individuals, we have to be very aware of trying to keep that distance. But I think the onus will also lie a lot on the production people, on the producers, to, to look at the types of work that we produce from now on, possibly limiting numbers of cast, um, looking at making sure that all the PPE stuff is in place, that we take people's temperatures, we monitor people, etc., etc., and just are very, very aware of the dangers that COVID do present us. It's going to be very difficult, and I think we're going to have to approach what we do in a very different way. We're going to definitely, definitely, because those to COVID, we're going to have to take them out of the rehearsal of the production process. Um, we're going to have to monitor the people around them. Possibly we're going to have to self-isolate whole casts together. Who knows? There's ways of doing things, but we just have to be very aware of what we're doing and do it sanely and sensibly with the proper social distancing precautions in place. So change is in approaching. It change coming no matter which angle you look at it. That's um, what I'm getting from that response from you, Chris. Now, we've seen theatres begin to live stream and begin to air recordings of theatre productions in the immediate wake of the pandemic. Is the filming of theatre going to be a viable option going forward, both for the medium of theatre and the industry as a whole? Listen, I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've absolutely loved being able to see all the West End productions that I might not necessarily have been able to see because they were filmed and properly filmed. I think it's going to be imperative going forward that we do film all productions. And I think the culture of live streaming will have a place. However, you know, as performers yourselves, it won't replace that wonderful, wonderful experience of being live. Now, I'm on the board of the Naledi Theatre Awards, and we really tried to hold back as long as possible to have a live awards event this year. We've decided, given what is going on with the spike in uh, Corona, we're not going to go live. We are going to do an uh, online award ceremony. But we are really, really sad because we want that interaction. Theatre in, in and of itself relies on that contract that happens between the audience and the performer. If, we, if everything goes online, we lose that. And it's such an important uh, aspect of our industry. So a lot has been documented as far as the struggles for certain artists to access the relief funding offered during this period. What ways can and should our leadership structures bridge the financial gap for the artists who haven't been able to secure income during this time? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of things. I think we definitely have to look at the, the UIF laws 
where freelancers who often have UIF deducted um, are actually able to access that, um, you, know, you know, the UIF. The other thing is that the emergency funds that are put in place, um, I think a lot of very high profile performers were given money. And actually, that doesn't really make sense. And I'm talking about Grammy Award winning um, musicians, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think what is needed is the people handing out the funds need to engage with industry bodies. And there are a few bodies that are available. I, I was talking about waiting in the wings. I was talking about um, uh, the Theatre Benevolent Fund. We have organizations like Saga. We have the PMA, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the, the department needs to engage with those organizations who are sort of on the ground um, and who and who know those artists that are struggling and also making it easier to access. You know, I know a lot of artists that simply don't have the data available in order to go online to even apply. Um, for six, seven weeks, they were unable to leave their homes in order to, uh, you know, even go to a library or whatever, which had been closed, to try and do the applications. The websites keep crashing, they get full. The uh, rate at which applications are being processed are incredibly slow. So all of those issues need to be taken on and need to be addressed very, very quickly because literally we have artists that are starving. And, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, it's gone beyond people losing their homes and losing their vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's going to people not going to bed hungry every night. And that is the problem. And that's what we've got to change. Indeed. Now, we've, we've dwelled on the permutations of this pandemic as far as um, how work in theatre will be, in, be affected, how work in cinema will be affected. And we've already sort of um, drawn the parallel between the ways in which uh, the cinema side of things will be affected versus how the theater side of things will be affected. But as far as the other realms of, of uh, events and event producing and public gatherings for events of that nature, being that your own uh, resume, uh, Chris, is um, expansive enough to include event producing. I'm curious to you as far as whether you believe the worlds of event producing and filmmaking are impacted in exactly the same or different ways as to how the theatre world has been impacted during these times. Okay, I, th I think the, the film world, I, I think runs very much along the, the television lines. And um, luckily with film sets, we are going to be able to mitigate the danger of COVID. So we'll be able to have smaller crews, et cetera, and we'll be able to produce films quite, quite easily. But eventing, I think, is going to be in for a very, very interesting ride. Unfortunately, over the last three, four months, um, a lot of eventing companies, small eventing companies, have simply had to close their doors. 
and and that's really really sad for the industry however those companies that have managed to hang on um i know a company that i do some creative directing work for has taken their events totally online and have over the last certainly the last two months done a lot of online events for their corporate clients so i think that's started to regenerate that part of the industry quite nicely. Um, I also think that whilst it's we can do a lot of stuff online, again, for the corporate industry, it's in, uh, and, and, and corporates, it's very important for that face-to-face, -face, that interactive nature of that corporate events bring, uh, brings to their business. And so I think that as we go into level two, level one, etc. As the regulations relax around number of attendees, etc., etc., I think that industry is actually going to be a boom industry when we come out of this. I think that companies are going to desperately need to re-engage with their staff, and so that the eventing industry is going to become very important. But more importantly, I think those um, companies are going to need to re-engage with their customers. And by uh, to do that, they're going to need, need to hold events, be seen, be out there. So I think I think that the outlook actually for eventing companies is is quite good. Um, I think it's 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 certainly going to outweigh the rest of the entertainment industry. And lastly, Chris, before we let you go, what is your one piece of advice to any theater practitioner, events company, anyone in the arts during this time in the midst of this pandemic? I think what I'd like to say is I have been so impressed by the innovation and the, the, the way, the, for the main part, our industry has risen to the challenge putting the National Arts Festival online, creating an industry within an industry. And I'd just like to say, keep going, keep sticking to your dreams. Remember, this is, a, this is a, just a blip on our horizon. We have so much more to look forward to. And I think this has just forced us to reevaluate and look at how we approach our industry. And I think the other thing I want to say is, Really, really keep true to your craft, but make sure that you run your business, you as a performer, run yourself like a business and make sure that when we come through this, you have created the ability to be sustainable through these times of drought. Thank you very much for having me. I've really, really appreciated being able to talk about this. And that was Chris Avant-Smith, a producer of events, theatre and film, sharing with us what has happened for events and the theatre world and what lockdown level three actually means for theatres and cinemas. Thank you so much for joining us on the COVID report. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vids. By Voice of Vids. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1 or stream by www.varfm.co.za.